WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I think that's the principle here. As believers in Christ, we're called to obey Him, even if it means that we won't won't make a profit. That's what he's talking about. Even if it means losing a business deal because you refuse to lie, you won't exaggerate about a product, or you uh, are ethical in your uh, your business dealings, and because you are ethical, you're going to lose a sale. You're going to lose something because you don't do what everybody else does. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yet, all too often, we seek first the things, don't we? And we forget about God's priorities. And one major result of a personal revival is that our values realign to match God's values. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the revival that's described in the book of Nehemiah after the Jewish people returned from the Babylonian captivity. Today, Pastor Steve is continuing the message we began in our last session. One thing that changed when their hearts turned to God was their respect for the Sabbath. How did it change, though? And how does that relate to us? Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 10 as Pastor Steve helps us sort it out. Now, the Sabbath was to be a day of rest, no work, even as God rested from creation on the seventh day. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the Sabbath observance, observance was strictly a Jewish thing. It was not for Gentiles. Never, never was. It, it wasn't practiced by the Gentiles. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. The Gentiles did business as usual on the seventh day. They maybe had another day where they took off, but on the seventh day they did business. Therefore, in Nehemiah's day, there were many who were doing business with the Gentiles on that day. Uh, it says in verse 31, as the, for the peoples of the land we, uh, who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day, they were probably selling to the merchants at a good price, who the merchants in turn would sell to the people on other days. And so there were really probably some very good bargains going on there. And so they were practicing business on the seventh day. Therefore, uh, this, was a, this was a problem. They, they needed the business. Remember, times were poor economically. Times were poor. It's an agricultural society. Uh, they had very difficult times. And uh, it, it seemed such an unwise business decision, financial decision, to, uh, to not do business with the Gentiles on the seventh day. They could get some real good buys. And, uh, and so that's what's going on. They make an agreement that even if it costs us, even if it hurts us, even if it means losing money, not getting the best deal, on a weekly basis, the Jewish people say, we're not going to conduct business with the Gentiles. We're going, in other words, to honor the Lord. Even if we have to cut our profits, we're going to honor the Lord on Saturday. Uh, We're closed for business. We're not doing anything. Shops closed. We'll open up tomorrow. That's basically what's going on here. 
But Sabbath observances, and you may not realize this, Sabbath observances went beyond the weekly Saturday rest. Far more than that. Notice the end of verse 31. It said, we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, what's this talking about? The law also commanded the Jewish people not only to, for them to rest on Saturday, but every seven years, the land, agricultural society, the land was to be idle. The land was to get its rest. No work on the land for se- uh, every seven years. For one year, let it rest. So that it might restore itself, which is a pretty, pretty smart principle here. Now, this would have been and was a tremendous step of faith. They weren't doing it. That's why they agreed to do this. But originally it was to be a great step of faith because uh, since they lived off of the land, they had to trust God that he would provide uh, economically, agriculturally before the seventh year of, of rest. He'd have to provide two years worth of food for them to live off of because that one year they didn't work the land. Now, if you're a farmer, that's really rough. If you live off of your farm and your farm doesn't get used for a year, that's kind of hard. So they'd have to trust the Lord. Economically, it would be hard. And notice also, uh, every seventh year, they were to cancel debts. Now, there are, Bible teachers are divided on this. Some say that every seven years, they just canceled it. If you owe me anything, you don't owe me, you don't owe me anything. Now, others say, and I tend to think that this was, the, this was the intent of the law, that it was simply suspended for the seventh year. It was suspended because in the seventh year, times would be hard, and therefore all debts were, were temporarily suspended. Consequently, it was, it was because of the, the, uh, the lean year that they were going through with their farms. Because the, the debtor, wouldn't, at that point, that year, have the means to repay the debt. And uh, it, my interpretation, that it probably meant that the loan would still have to be repaid, but not that year. Now, this was not being observed. This was all part of the Sabbath truth, and this was not being observed. In fact, if you look back a couple of books to Second Chronicles chapter 36, many Christians don't realize this. And uh, when you do, it'll be an eye-opener for you. In 2 Chronicles, you go back Ezra and then, and then 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, speaking about the captivity, I'll show you how serious this was, the captivity. Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. Speaking about the captivity, all the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Now, what, what is that saying? Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, not only are the Jewish people going into captivity to Babylon and then Persia, but they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Now, why 70 years? Well, what this is saying is the 70 years, and this is only one reason they went into captivity. There were many others, but one reason the Jewish people went into captivity was to give the land 70 years of rest. Why 70 years? Each year representing seven years of Sabbath neglect, or about uh, 490, 500 years. So for about 500 years, they had neglected the Sabbath rule of letting the land lie idle. And God said, I will enforce the, the a Sabbath rest for the land. If you won't give it to them to the land, I will. So that's why it was 70 years. So you understand that for 500 years, they were not observing the Sabbath like they should have been. So now that we understand that the Jewish people were committed in Nehemiah chapter 10 to observe the Sabbath weekly and every seven years, how's this relevant to us? 
how is this practically relevant to us? Well, let me say, I don't think that the issue today is whether you do business on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, I think that would be legalism. I don't think that's the issue. Uh, I don't think it means if you go shopping on Sunday, anything is wrong with you. Um, you're certainly free to do that. The issue is, is whether or not you honor the Lord in your business practices every day. Not Saturday or Sunday. Every day. How do you honor the Lord? Is making money more important to you than honoring Jesus Christ in your business? I think that's the principle here. As believers in Christ, we're called to obey him, even if it means that we won't make a profit. That's what he's talking about. Even if it means losing a business deal because you refuse to lie, you won't exaggerate about a product, or you uh, are ethical in your, uh, in your business dealings, and because you are ethical, you're going to lose a sale. You're going to lose something because you don't do what everybody else does. Let me have you turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, one of the great passages in the Word of God dealing with worry and anxiety and the whole thing about finances. Because most of us, if we worry, we worry about things related to finances and having things and and that type of thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, a great verse for us to memorize, meditate on, and certainly obey. No one can serve, he said, two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That is an absolute. That's a non-negotiable. You cannot say, I serve God and I serve money. Because if you serve God, you can't serve money. If you serve money, you can't serve God. You can only have one master. If you're divided, you have, you have no masters. Slavery means that there's only one master over you. If you have two, you, have, you haven't got one. I hope you follow my line of thinking, because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. You can only have a commitment to let one rule over you. Can't be both. Now, Jesus goes on to, to uh, explain after saying that you have to decide who's going to rule over you, the goal of making money or God. And then he goes on, and he's speaking, by the way, to very poor Galileans. The Galileans were agricultural. Uh, in fact, uh, many of them are still, still are today in Upper Galilee. And he said, for this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life, verse 25, as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Now he's saying this to people who, who don't necessarily know where their next day's meal is going to come from. So it's very relevant. He said, look at the birds in the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? That's the issue. It's faith. Faith in who? Faith in a loving Heavenly Father takes care of birds, takes care of the field. He'll take care of you. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And then he adds, and this is a verse we often leave out. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
In other words, do what you're supposed to do today and leave tomorrow with God. Tomorrow is enough problems. God gives you grace for the problems of today. You just focus on doing what you're supposed to do today and you say, well, what am I supposed to do today? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what you need will be given to you. And people wonder often, well, what does that mean to seek God first and and his righteousness? It means obedience to what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is a righteous lifestyle. In light of being put in a a dark world that hates Jesus Christ, live as true disciples. That's that's what he means. Put him first and trust God. So, So what is he saying here? Don't worry, but trust the loving heart of your heavenly father and be committed to his word. That's what life is about for a believer. Work is secondary. Work is secondary. So how does this apply to us? Well, it's very simple. Is there some monetary issue that you're putting before Jesus Christ? At times we do this, and you have to change. The Jewish people of Nehemiah's day changed. They cut their profits by not having business dealings with Gentiles on the Sabbath. They gave the land rest, and they canceled the debts owed to them. Why? Just because God said so. And, and you may think, but it doesn't make financial sense. No, it may not. But life for us is not trying to make financial sense, primarily. Life for us isn't about money, but about pleasing the Lord. He'll take care of you. Anything that you're doing in business that doesn't smack of integrity needs to change. And it could be a host of things. It could be not working hard. You need to work hard. You need to be the hardest workers your place of employment. It means it could mean the illegal use of copyright laws. I know there are people who think, who cares about it? Well, the guy who copyrighted cares because that's how he makes his livelihood. And whether or not you and I can figure it out and agree with it, that's the law. And it's illegal to do anything else. Committing phone theft while well, use the company phone, even though it's personal, that would not smack of integrity exaggerating a product, all kinds of things. It could mean that you put your work and financial profit ahead of ministry to the church. It could mean that you're so busy trying to make money, and not just ends meet, but trying to make a, you know, ends meet and a lot more, that maybe you're not involved in the church because you're too busy. Maybe you're not ministering because you're working harder than you really need to work. Like the person who maybe is working on Sundays, and I don't have a problem with that if your boss says work on Sundays, But maybe you don't need, maybe you are the boss and you don't need to work on Sundays. I don't know everyone's situation, but it could mean that. Maybe it's padding your expense account. There are all kinds of things, but the point is, is that when God revives your heart, one of the first areas that you straighten out is your business dealings. You straighten out your home, you straighten out your business dealings, and then there is a third area of change that must change, that will change as a result of revival. If it doesn't change, something is wrong. Something is wrong in your life. And that third area is support for the house of God. Notice verses 32 through 39. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offerings, for the continual burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise... We cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people in order that they might bring it to the house of our God according to our father's households at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as as it is written in the law. And in order that they might bring the first fruits of our ground 
and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually, and to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. That last phrase of this chapter gives you the theme of these verses. We will not neglect the house of our God. In fact, nine times in these verses, the expression the house of our God is mentioned. So that's what it's about. It's about supporting financially the work of God. They pledged themselves to take care of the restored temple, to support the ministry of the temple. Now, what did that involve? There are four areas of support, and this is what we just read. Let me go through this quickly. First of all, in verses 32 and 33, there was a temple tax. It says in verse 32 that they placed themselves under obligation to contribute one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of their God. That's a temple tax. They promised to contribute one-third of a shekel each year as a temple tax to pay for the expenses of the ministry. The Mosaic law required this. Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, required everyone 20 years of age and up that they were to give one half of a shekel every time the census was, was taken. Now, this has changed a little bit. Now, Nehemiah says, give one-third of a shekel, but do it annually. So maybe it's because times were hard, maybe because there's a... Uh, annually as opposed to when there was a census, but the principle is the same. By the way, this is the background. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, this is very interesting as we compare Scripture with Scripture, Jesus observed the law. We are not under the, the details of the law, but in Matthew 17, verse 24, it says, when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma, which would be half a shekel tax, came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? See, that's what he's talking about. That's the background. It's a temple tax. Now, why do they have a temple tax? Well, they, they needed money for a host of reasons in order to carry on the everyday, carry out the everyday expenses of the temple. It would mean for the, for the priest to maintain the bread on the tables of presents, for, uh, uh, for the offerings, for uh, ongoing festivals, and any other expense. It was a temple tax to support the ongoing ministry of the temple. Secondly, they had wood for the altar. Verse 34 says, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests and, and families and so forth. Now, why did they need wood? Well, the people promised to provide wood for the temple because it says in the law, Leviticus chapter 6, that the fire on the brazen altar at the temple was to be kept burning continually. So you need wood there so it would burn continually. So they cast lots to see which families at what time would bring wood. Then they promised the first fruits in verses 35 through 37 the, they make a, a pledge to involve bringing the first fruits given to the Lord. To the Lord, that would be the crops, that would be their children, or specifically their sons, and that would be also their animals. That's found in Exodus chapter twenty-three, also Deuteronomy twelve. Now, you might wonder, what do you mean about bringing your your sons as as first fruits? Well. One Bible teacher explained it this way, because God saved the firstborn Jews from death 
in the land of Egypt, the firstborn of men and beasts belonged to the Lord. That's what he said. The firstborn son had to be redeemed by a sacrifice because that child belonged to God. So you would bring your crops to the, te- to the temple. You would bring your animals for sacrifice, but you would also bring your son. You would not sacrifice your son. There would be a sacrifice for your son and he would be given back to you. But he really belonged to the Lord. This is why as an infant, Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents as an infant because he was the firstborn son and this was the principle of first fruits. Now there was something else in verses 37 through 39. The fourth and final pledge that they made was that they would pledge a tithe. They would give a tithe. Now what is a tithe? Literally the term tithe simply means a tenth. And the law required the Jewish people to bring a tenth of their produce to the Lord for the support of the Levites. The Levites, in turn, were to give a tenth of what was given to them and bring it to the priests, and they would support the priests. By the way, the law not only required a tenth. When we speak of tithe, we usually think of 10%. But it was more like 23% because not only did you have this tithe, but you also, the law spoke of a tithe of annual feasts to support the feasts. So that would be 20%, and then every three years they were to give uh, another tithe for the poor. And so uh, that comes out to about 23%. So when you're thinking of tithing, if you're thinking of just being stuck on 10, uh, not even the Jewish people under the law gave 10. They gave more like, as I said, 23%. Now, that's what these verses are talking about. But how in the world would this apply to us? What does God want us to do with these, with these verses? We don't have a temple. We don't have a temple, we don't have priests, we don't have Levites today, we don't live in in an agricultural society, at least not our community, and we don't carry on sacrifices. In fact, we're not even commanded in the New Testament to tithe. We're, We're not commanded in the New Testament to tithe. Well, to begin with, I want you to hear the very wise words of British expositor G. Campbell Morgan. This is how you begin to apply this. He says, whereas the house of God today is no longer material but spiritual, The material is still a very real symbol of the spiritual. When the church of God in any place, in any locality, is careless about the material place of of assembly, the place of its worship and work, it is a sign of evidence that its life is at a low ebb. In other words, what he's saying is, while we don't have a literal temple today, we don't have a literal temple, we do have church buildings where we gather to worship And the way we care for those buildings and the way we support the work of the local church we attend indicates what we think of our God. That's what Campbell Morgan was saying, and uh, I agree, and I think that's how how you apply this. So what are some of the valuable lessons, and there really are, I encourage you to take some of this stuff down, valuable lessons for us that naturally flow out of this text. Here's as I see it. Number one, one thing is rather obvious. There's no temple tax imposed on you, but every Christian has a responsibility to financially support the church they attend, whether it be this church or some other church that you're going to. There's no tax imposed upon you, but obviously somebody's got to support it. And it only makes sense that the people who go there support it. Why? For the same reason the Jewish people supported the the temple ministry to carry on the work of the church's ministries. If you don't support it, If I don't support it, who's going to? I'll tell you, nobody's going to. There's an old story about a man who interrupted the offering collection one Sunday at the little country church he attended. As the pastor was about to pray, the man spoke up and said, Pastor, if salvation is free, why do we need to give to the church? The pastor replied, Well, you know water's free too, but you got to pay for the plumbing. 
Well, you know, that's not a perfect analogy, of course, but the reality is that there are expenses involved with almost any ministry. But even that's not the main reason that we give. The main reason is that if we're like Jesus, we'll be generous to the point of enjoying the act of giving. We'll deal with that more fully on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for listening. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in town and looking for a place to worship, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Get more details online at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Always keep in mind that the primary beneficiary of our generosity ought to be our own church. But God typically prompts us to give over and above that primary focus. If you'd like to help with this ministry, we have a secure and convenient way to give on the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can also get giving information by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We're grateful for the generous listeners who make this Bible class of the year possible. And don't forget the law.